Hello and once again, welcome to the Sporty Ushers podcast. This is Dave and joining me as always is James. How are you, James? I am doing very well. How are you doing, Dave? It's, it's been a good week of sport, hasn't it? It has been a fantastic week of sport and we will talk all about it in the coming hour and a bit, hopefully. Uh, just a quick overview of what's coming up. Uh, we will mop up the... Uh, sports stories of the week in our roundup section um, then we'll go on to talk about football now the Premier League finished up this Saturday uh, a very exciting final day um, we will look at the predictions that uh, you and I made uh, last Thursday um, yes. and uh, see if we did any better than uh, when Watford played West Ham which we all know was an absolute <laughs> disaster for us um, we will do our bit I mean it was, it was pretty easy I reckon to pick the team of the season but we've had a go <laughs> And hopefully there's a few surprises in there for you. Uh, we'll also look at the season as a whole. Uh, after that, we will move on to cricket uh, with the review of the third test between England and the West Indies. Quickly, big overview of the series. And then look ahead to Pakistan, which starts next week. Uh, with the same squad, what did we learn and what are we going to change? Uh, England versus Ireland ODI over the summer started today, so we'll mop that up. And then talk a little bit about domestic cricket also. Then we will talk about my love, Scottish football. Uh, we will be joined by a very, very special guest who will help us mop up all the legal stuff, um, where we stand on a legal um, basis, who's going to play in the SPL, who got relegated, who didn't, take care of all that for you, as well as predicting where we think uh, the final placings in the SPL will look like. All of that and a very special Usher versus Usher Scotland versus England challenge. Are you ready, James? I am ready. Well, let's get started with the Sporty Usher podcast. Okay, so uh, just to round up a couple of the big sports stories of the week. First of all, <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure that this really counts as a sports story. Um, and that is the fact that there's going to be an exhibition fight between <laughs> Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Um, yes. Now, you are more of a, a boxing fan than I am. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on that? Oh, so... I I understand that there is a I understand that there is a there will be a market for that for that fight. Um, I understand that Mike Tyson is a a personality unlike anyone else in in sport. To be honest, um, however, I don't have any interest in in watching two old men kind of like trying trying to recapture a, a, the glory of kind of like of decades, and we are talking decades past now. Um, uh, Mike, Mike Tyson Mike Tyson was the most the most destructive heavyweight puncher um i've ever seen and i've ever seen videos of um sort of going back to the to the really heavy heavy hitters of the 70s um he's just his power and athleticism was sort of unmatched in the in the in the air in his and at his prime he was unstoppable unfortunately his prime came to an end sometime in the mid 90s and uh as much as as much as we wouldn't want that to happen as much as we wouldn't want to admit it that now is quite a long time ago um, sad but true yes yeah yeah um and i, I know that I know that it's very unfair to that, that when people have to walk away from a sport and someone like Mike Tyson who has had so many problems in his life and hasn't hasn't dealt with them in healthy ways at all. Um, him losing sort of the his 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 sort of boxing ability leaving him was something that kind of affected him terribly. Uh, not not that I'm excusing anything that he did at all, but but when someone when someone has has that sort of adulation and then it's taken away. That's that's a very difficult thing to deal with, and he does he does seem to be in a much better place at the minute. 
and it was really good to see him, you know, back in the in the the boxing ring and and looking like the Mike Tyson of old in his sort of physique and his sure <laughs> and in his punches. However, in the gym, sort of little clips of people in the gym are not what make a boxer. Um, no, and I, th- I think if you think it, even like I know he's not in the same caliber as what Mike Tyson yeah. was, but if you look at this. The, the condition that David Hay was in when he fought Tony Bellew yes, was yeah. like an Adonis. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Steve Tymon was gone. And yeah, like, absolutely. Just, you know, like Bellew, who, if, if he was to fight Hay when he was... Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, like it was just really, really sad to see someone mm-hmm. who had the ability that David Hay had reduced to, you know, to yeah. getting put on his arse by the pudding that is yeah. uh, Tony Bellew. Uh, <laughs> I hope you, Tony Bellew is not listening to this. I'm sure he is, obviously. Oh, but... you, you, only, you only say that because he calls himself that. Like That's, that's why it's okay to, to refer yeah, to himself course. as that. He's very open about his own his limitations as, a, as an, an elite heavyweight, um, definitely. But, but um, I think any, anyone who's watched boxing for any amount of time has seen probably the saddest sight in boxing is a champion being reduced to... to um, to be in sort of broken down a broken down champion carrying on beyond beyond his time and and if pe- people don't remember Danny Williams outboxing and outharting Mike Tyson and then people don't remember a year later when with the greatest respect Kevin McBride a guy who shouldn't doesn't even deserve to be in the same ring as Mike Tyson at any stage of his career managed to stop him in sort of five rounds I think it was um it, it I've watched that fight watch it, it's too painful to watch um and of course, then on the flip side, you've got you've got Roy Jones Jr., who 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 has who has boxed on throughout his forties and and has basically looked like a shell of his former self for a long time now. Yeah. So so I think the good thing is that they're probably not going to hurt each other. Like like it, when Tyson was talking about taking on genuine sort of heavyweight contenders, you you did think yeah. I hope there's someone in it. I hope this is just hype, and I hope there's someone in his. I hope there's not someone in his ear telling him that he can get back to the top because that could have been. Oh, that, there could have been a tragedy, sort of like that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think Roy Jones. The, the only thing is, of course, the last thing that goes is is someone's chin. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes yeah, it's a punch, right. sometimes it's a chin. And and if they are, if they sort of, it's it's eight rounds, isn't it? I think eight rounds exhibition. And if one of them does take eight rounds of punishment, that could be. That could have long term sort of health. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I, the, the guy yeah. is probably out of status if he was to take on someone even younger, like, sort of like if he was to take on like Chisora or something, right? And yeah. well, Chisora yeah, yeah, is nowhere yeah, yeah, yeah. right? he, he could, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, I, I watch the big fights in boxing, I'm very casual. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. fan, but even to me, this is this is ludicrous. Yeah, uh, especially when they're probably going to charge you twenty five quid to watch it and stuff. I oh, think at least, yeah. 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 So I, I, will, I will just say there is there is we, we are we are so lucky in Britain, and I don't think we realise in what the American kind of boxing scene looks like. Of in in Britain, we've got um sort of we've got Eddie Hearn, and, and whatever you think of him, he is he is putting on on boxing shows every almost every week. You've also got Frank Warren who. Again, you don't like these people, but they are they are doing the best they can for boxing. Uh, and then you've got sort of other, other kind of stables as well. So you do have people who, in in Britain. We do have a very healthy, or almost to be honest, overcrowded kind of boxing scene. And you do kind of think sometimes when when um, fights or bouts are on pay per view, you do kind of think, why is that on pay per view? You know, there's been two or three a month. Um, whereas whereas in America, they are really struggling to drum up attention. If your name's not if your name's not Canelo or Mayweather or or a very small group of, of people. Um, 
But I think that the thing is with um, even if you look at like Deontay Wilder, I mean they had a yes, they had yeah. a, a heavyweight yeah. champion, which is like the, mm-hmm. the the top of the sport if you if you like, and mm-hmm. nobody cares, yeah. you know. And it's and, like that's yeah. why like Joshua was like or Fury or whoever's going to fight him was like mm-hmm. we'll fight you anyway because we're the draw, yeah. not you, <laughs> you yeah, know. And it's, absolutely, yeah. And I, th- I think and for, for a long time when when the Klitsch codes were sort of champions and even in following when Lennox Lewis was sort of heavyweight champion, the the, the kind of the cry the the excuse was once American gets another heavyweight champion, you know, and there, there were sort of false, false dawns of like, of uh, what's called Joe, Joe Messi. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you remember him. And there was, uh, there was certain, um, certain boxers, um, uh, Malik Scott, and there's certain boxers who were overhyped far beyond kind of where they kind of should have been. Um, I think Malik Scott ended up losing to, uh, Audrey Harrison. That's kind of how, what his level, what his level was. Um, but, but, and the, the crowd was once we have a, once there's American heavyweight champion, you know, we can rebuild a spot around then, then th- th- there was an American heavyweight champion for a long time. And he was fighting on, you know, small bills. He was fighting on, you know, he wasn't making the money of even, well, he definitely wasn't making the money of anti Joshua, but he wasn't making the money that a lot of British boxers were making. Yeah. So, um, so, so I think if, if this does reinvigorate, um, if this does reinvigorate uh, American boxing, that can only be good. However, if it's a freak show and it kind of happens and then everyone moves on, it doesn't do American boxing any good at all. It'll actually, it'll actually could actually damage, damage it. Yeah, I think you're yeah. right. Okay, cool. So moving on, uh, oh, there were some on, to, on the actual sport. On, yeah, on, on the actual sport. sport. Yeah. 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 Uh, so. It was announced, and uh, when I say actual sport, we're going to talk about rugby union, so not really. Um, so I'm only kidding. I, I like you <laughs> peanut huggers as much as anybody. Um, so uh, in all seriousness, though, the um, it was announced today that the Six Nations will be completed by the end of October. So on week- weekend of the 24th, uh, Ireland versus Italy. Uh, and then on the 31st, weekend of the 31st, there will be the final round of fixtures, which is Wales versus Scotland, Italy versus England and France versus Ireland. I think the with Scotland beating France just before uh, the uh, the shutdown, um, it pretty much handed the Six Nations title to England. Unless so, England are ahead at the moment on points scored. Um, so I think they would have to lose to Italy. I think, mm-hmm. or France would have to beat Ireland by more than England beat Italy, which is unlikely. I think. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's looking like England will win the Six Nations this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't be a grand slam because they did lose to France, I believe. Um, so that will all be played to a conclusion on the thirty-first. Uh, it was also announced that the rugby championship, which is the Southern Hemisphere tournament between New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, and Argentina, uh, mm-hmm. will take place between the seventh of November and the twelfth of December. Uh, the are the rugby authority who were completely escaping me at the moment have asked New Zealand to host that tournament in its entirety, um, save for like teams travelling around the world and stuff. Um, so normally uh, around October time, the home nations would be playing uh, their autumn tests, where mm-hmm. like teams from the southern hemisphere come and tour. Uh, that obviously will not be possible given the current. Uh, coronavirus epidemic so that has been replaced by a new tournament which features the Six Nations teams joined by Japan and Fiji Uh, the games will be played in Scotland, Wales and England I believe Um, so again keeping uh, the teams like in a bubble and contained etc etc so James does any of that excite you in any way? Um, I I do think rugby rugby union has has kind of like 
it, it, it's it's got it's, it's it's sort of strong countries, and sometimes it just it just kind of struggled to um to sort of have sort of a, a reach beyond you know the, the the kind of the European base, and then the the kind of southern hemisphere, kind of like you said, southern hemisphere, literally literally four countries in some some of the southern hemisphere that, that kind of play rugby. Um, so I think I do think it's always good when you can have you can sort of expand their kind of like the kind of scope of the game. Um, and there is kind of a there are some decent sort of second or oh, I think they call them B like B tier second tier yeah. countries they do play kind of good good rugby so so I think it would be interesting to see how um how Japan get along uh, and how how like teams get along in this in this kind of rugby world championship as it's kind of been it's kind of been known um, I know it was there, there was a, a bit like in Test cricket there has been sort of like attempts to try and um kind of uh formalize kind of the games that are played in these kind of autumn autumn internationals and where when they do play friendlies in in a similar way to how football has had the um uh like the european nations league as yeah. a way to um as a way to uh uh kind of, kind of remove the kind of needless sort of just money making friendlies and, and sort of give them some kind of sporting kind of integrity to them and, and i think this, this could be an interesting step towards that if if you know if you can turn of sort of turn these games into a, a little tournament it, it it seems it seems it could be slightly more could be slightly more interesting than just playing three random games against three random teams, yeah. and it also could help to build for a a, a World Cup sort of tournament. It it, it surely must give sort of a bit of help towards that kind of that kind of methodology that you have to put in place to try and win a World Cup. You know, well, I think yeah, I think that the, with this, what well, obviously Japan did really well, and they they, they, they put Scotland yeah. out. Um, which just no great shakes, I guess. Yeah. But uh, it'd be interesting to see them playing. So Japan, Georgia, um, yeah. and then you've got sort of the, the Pacific Island teams like Fiji, Tonga, Samoa. Yeah. Right now, those guys they're never going to get any better unless yeah. they play mm-hmm. like more than, as you say, more than like once every four years in a World Cup or anything. Um, so Georgia are actually ranked, or where the last time I checked, were ranked higher than Italy. Oh, yeah. yes. Are, they don't play in the Six Nations. So why, and I, I say this as a Scot who, I mean, Scotland have finished bottom uh, more times in the last sort of 10 mm-hmm. years than I care to uh, admit. But that, if that means that Scotland get relegated out of it in order for Georgia or whichever uh, yeah. emerging mm-hmm. European nation, that can only be good for growing the game in a world stage. Because what you have at the minute is you look at a pool of teams in the World Cup and you, you can pretty much predict the results of every game in a rugby mm-hmm. World Cup, you know, until you get to say the quarterfinals when England play Australia or something, and maybe you're thinking right. But if you look at the pool games, there has maybe been one upset in the last what four World Cups when yeah. Japan yeah. beat South Africa in yeah. Um, yeah. 2015, mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, yeah. And then because of the way the pools worked, they didn't South Africa qualify anyway. You know, but um, so I think just this is a good thing because it it Mm -hmm. it gets Fiji and Japan playing. Mm -hmm. So they're splitting the two pools. So be England, Wales, Ireland, and Fiji in pool one with Scotland, France, Italy, and Japan in pool two. So uh, it gives Japan a chance to play us, to play France. Italy, and then make a real mark. Show the game yeah. against Scotland because it was a, it was a home game for Japan, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Like show that game at the World Cup wasn't a one-off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think it can only be a, only be a good thing. I, um, I definitely think so. Yeah, I definitely. And I, I do remember a, a few a few years ago. It, it could be any. To be honest, it could be any time in the last sort of two and a half decades. But I do remember one point. Um, Romania had a very yeah. good rugby union team, uh, and I remember them. I'm yeah. I just remember them being a very good, and they and. Now they are, and I, I, I've, I've kind of read up it, and they have kind of fallen away because yeah. there was they, they reached their limit of 
you know, they, they couldn't make any money from it. They couldn't monetize that kind of like they couldn't play any home games. England, England only plays sort of three friendlies a year. And are you really going to yeah. play against if, if there's no audience for it? How do you get an audience by playing bigger teams? But it's like a vicious cycle of all the best teams play each other, which is really good. But what happens on the second level? Like, like, would you really watch Georgia versus Romania? A rugby rugby union match, probably not. No, nope. but, but if if you'd seen if you'd seen Georgia play against England or Romania play against Scotland and run them close or something, you might yeah. have been. But you're never exactly. going to be interested in it just off the back of off the back of rugby union trying to sell a second level game. Yeah. But, but you might be interested if they, if you kind of know what what the teams are like. And, and and like like you just said, you know, we're kind of interested to see how Japan Japan will do because of their performances last year. And you know, and it's, yeah, they've got a chance to show them skills. Yeah quite quickly after the World Cup so yeah as interesting as rugby gets I think James I think that's how we could uh, um, so just very quickly I'm going to mention the US Open which is due to take place in New York next month behind closed doors Um, there's been quite a few players have expressed concerns uh, but today the world number one Ash Barty has withdrawn over uh, concerns for coronavirus. Um, I think playing an international tournament in a country with the highest coronavirus you know, death rate, I think, is absolute yeah. lunacy. Uh, you're asking people to come from all over the world to then go back home, and you know, I think you know, we just we just knock the US Open on the head for for the year. I think. I think so. Yeah, I think if you if you look at what what the the, the great lens that kind of the the ECB did for for the cricket and the kind of sacrifice that the West Indies cricket has made yeah. and, and the Pakistani cricketers have made to come over here for a, to come over to England for a month to try and train and prepare for a, a match. I think if they were doing the same with the US Open, you'd be absolutely fine. Or if yeah. you had a, a series of matches, you, you would accept that. But anything short of that, I think I can understand what people would be wary of. Um, absolutely. Of anywhere never mind um new york is kind of doing better than a lot of other yeah. areas but you know it's still a it's, it's still yeah. a country that I'd, I'd be looking to actively travel to if unless absolutely not or if absolutely absolutely not. Kind of guarantees of my kind of health and safety yeah so also just uh stay with uh people pulling out of high profile tournaments yeah. that's a very nice segue yeah, into nice. uh you, you wouldn't think you could naturally segue from uh, women, women's tennis to professional snooker, but I'm just about to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the World Championships start tomorrow at the Crucible. Um, now it's been well documented that there's going to this is going to be a, a sort of a test event for. Uh, they're going to have very limited crowds in there. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know Ronnie O'Sullivan has been very outspoken about. He feels like a, a lab rat or a guinea pig yeah. or whatever it was he said. Yeah. And it's tough to disagree with him, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's a, a player called Anthony Hamilton has um, withdrawn from the tournament today uh, after fighting his way through the qualifiers, uh, saying he has con- health concerns because he has severe asthma. Um, now, uh, Barry Hearn has gone in on him a little bit um, and and said, why has he left it until today to pull out? He's known that there would be crowds in. He, you know, he's known all of that before entering the tournament. And essentially, what he's done is just robbed another man of his livelihood, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, pretty intense. But it's hard again, hard to disagree with. It's not like Anthony Hamilton found out he had severe asthma yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and then I think it becomes clear that. Anthony Hamilton was paid £20,000 for reaching the Crucible yeah. and I think that's probably why he played rather than um, anything else um, so he's kind of tried to defend himself a little bit but I reckon he is just uh, 
played for the 20 grand and then he's gone home again which you know yeah, in, in this current climate it's very difficult to mm-hmm. hold that against them I suppose isn't it well, it used to be at one point it used to be sort of a big issue around around kind of Wimbledon um, about how, how much people got paid and, and sort of the grand slams and how much people get paid just for making it to the first round um, and so obviously you've got your qualifiers who have to go through but some, some people will qualify automatically and then pull out in the first round so therefore we'll still get the, their kind of like their money for qualifying in, in kind of like uh, in quotes for qualifying for a tournament and making it to the first round yeah but wouldn't actually play in the first round and I, and I think that's that's a problem that, that Wimbledon kind of struggled with especially when it it kind of came to sort of giving wild cards to people as well who would English uh, English or British kind of tennis players who would get a wild card and wouldn't even would like win a couple of games of qualifying and the prize money from that would be enough to would be all pretty much the only prize money they make all year and it was kind of a, a sneaky way of the Wimbledon kind of subsidising certain players. It was slightly unfair. And I, I don't think that's the case in this at all, but I think it might be something to look at for sort of the idea of, of again, like qualifying in quotation modes, yeah. in quotation for the first round. Like how, like surely you have to actually play that first round game to, 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 to become, a, to, to be a first round loser. And yeah. so you get, a at least get, you maybe even look again half of it or something or, yeah. Yeah. Or just to turn up and then pull out because there was some, there was wasn't there one year where there was like a record number of withdrawals in the first round. Yes. Yeah. People are yeah. playing on one leg because they need the yeah. money and yeah, yeah it's a, yeah. it's a, especially now with everything that's going on, you can kind of it's hard to yeah. criticise people yeah. for making. Yeah. I mean, these guys, I mean, professional snooker players, I don't imagine they're on millions unless you're oh, John no, Trump yeah. or something, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, still, it's a bit it's a bit rubbish for a spectacle unless you're Kyron Wilson, yeah. obviously, who's going <laughs> to get by in the same round. Yeah. So I'm sure he's yeah. pretty. Yeah. Least, but yeah. um, okay, so that is all in the roundup section, and we will move on now to our Usher versus Usher challenge. Now, oh. we are currently sat at one all after yes. uh, so if, uh, if you're a first time listener to the Sport Usher <laughs> podcast, uh, the Usher versus Usher uh, challenge is um, I pick uh, a classic England 11 for James. And he mm-hmm. picks a classic Scotland eleven for me, and we have yes. to name the players one to eleven. Uh, you get one life, so you're allowed to get one wrong. If you guess a player who came on as a substitute, uh, you get to pick again, and you do mm-hmm. not lose the life. Okay, and once again, um, any comparisons to uh, a game played on the wonderful uh, Quickly Kevin Willie Score podcast with the equally wonderful Josh Widdicombe, Chris Skoll and Michael Marsden uh, are purely coincidental. Sure, we love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> never heard of that podcast, never heard of it. Never heard of it. But uh, once you're done with listening to us, if you like 90s football, you may want to check it out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, James, I was a bit hard on you last week, giving you the Wally yeah. with the Brawley uh, Croatia-England uh-huh. game. Um, mm-hmm. I am going. It's one of the lowest uh, ebbs in English football, you would agree, oh. for the last sort of 20 yeah. years. Um, I'm going to take yeah. you to one of the best, okay? I'm okay. going to take you back to the 1st of September, 2001, to the Olympia mm-hmm. Stadion in Munich. Oh, yeah. Uh, the game is finished. Germany 1, England 5. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. Uh, so I am, I don't imagine you'll have too many problems with uh, with oh. that 11. Um, oh. So I'll just, I'll, I'll give you a clue to start with. Scott Carson wasn't, <laughs> and neither was Ben Foster. <laughs> so. Okay, okay. Are you sure? Yeah. Yes, that is it. Okay, so um, I've decided that you know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I like to take the high road 
Um, however, I am a very petty, petty man. <laughs> so after after Dave chose um, uh, Croatia versus Eng- England versus Croatia last week, um, I'm going to go back to uh, September 2015. So oh, a slightly more modern one than we've had than we've had recently. Um, the European Championship qualifying match, Group D, <laughs> and it is the night that Georgia beat Scotland to pretty much put an end to the to the Euro 2016 qualifying hopes. And and if and if you think I've only chosen this match as revenge for your choosing Eng- England's defeat last week, you are totally correct. That is the only reason why I've chosen this match. So, so it is it is 2015. Um, in case you in case you're not totally sure, um, this was Gordon Strachan's uh, time as Scotland manager. So I'll give you that as a, as a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a clue. Um, were we were uh, in Georgia, correct? It was. It, yes, it was. Yes. Yeah. Man, I remember listening to this game on <laughs> the in the uh, armbar because I was working. It was like a Tuesday night or oh, something. Yeah. Oh yeah. God. Um, right. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you one more clue. Not because I'm rubbing anything in at all, but um, Scotland didn't register a shot in this match. Yeah. No, you don't have to remind me of that. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so. so th- I think just when I say first. Yeah, yeah, that's a a good one, yeah. Yeah, Okay, so... um, 2015, uh, Scott Brown was still in the Yes, he was, yeah. Okay, right. Um, So, uh, 2001, did did anyone's famously score score a hat-trick in that? I I don't know, I'll I'll, I'll have have a guess of uh, Michael Owen. Uh, Michael Owen is correct. Um, right, Alan Hutton was probably still playing right back. He was, yes, yes, and he was playing it right back. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> um, and I will go. I will say that um, uh, scorer of the goal just for half time was uh, uh, I think it was at least it was Stephen Gerrard. It was indeed Stephen Gerrard. Uh, okay, so uh, oh, uh, it was in goals. Craig Gordon wouldn't have been at that time. I don't think um, was. I'm, I'm going to hail Mary early. David Marshall. It was David Marshall. Oh, yes, oh, the gods are with me. The gods are with me. I mean, you, you really should be getting goalkeepers. I mean, if you get a goalkeeper <laughs> wrong in it, in game, you, you really should be hanging your head in shame. That's yeah. embarrassing, surely. Um, I'm I'm pretty certain he started this game. Um, he might have come to sub, I'm pretty certain he started. Uh, Emil Heskey. Emil Heskey, yes, also a scorer that night. That's yes, how bad yes. things were for Germany. <laughs> that, um, yeah. Okay. He, so, he, he scored fifth goals, didn't he, when we beat Germany 5-1. That is the... Yes, he did. He did. Uh, Stephen Naismith. Stephen Naismith. Stephen Naismith, yes, he was playing, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, so I've, I've, oh, I've realised I've, I've kind of been giving it a bit of a big one. And so, uh, 2001, David Beckham. Uh, David Beckham, yep. Yeah. Uh, right, let me think. Who else? Darren Fletcher, surely. Who was that, sorry? Darren Fletcher. Uh, no, Darren Fletcher did not start the game surely not really yeah he did not know no right okay that's my life that's my life gone your life gone yeah Um, right yeah yeah um so 2001 uh, yeah so uh yeah he was still in yeah uh, david seaman david seaman he was yeah uh okay um 2015 gone. Um, I'm having a Hail Mary at the left back here, and another Hail Mary, and I'm going to say a very young Andrew Robertson. Yes, he was, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I, I mean, was that, that even before he moved to Hull, was it? it he was, was before he moved to Hull. Illinois, still at Dundee United, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
you turned left, I'll go right back in. Surely it was, well, he wasn't injured, was he? Surely it was Gary Neville. It was, right yeah, back Gary. In. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, God. Um, who's even played up front for us then? Is Smith potentially. Um, who's in the field, Scott Brown? Um, for McGregor. Do you know what? I'm saying this more in hope rather than expectation because he used to play for Aki's. I'm going to guess James MacArthur. James MacArthur did not play on that day. He was on the bench, but he didn't come on. <sighs> so you've just got to get one more. That's a victory for you. And your life is in <laughs> Um Oh, so wait, so wait, hang on. 2000, 2001, surely, surely, surely it was uh, Saul Campbell. Yeah, Saul Campbell, yes. Well there done. We go. Correct. Yes. Another victory oh. for Chip. Yes. Uh, the full lineup for that night was uh, Seaman, yeah. Neville, Campbell, Ferdinand, Ashley Cole, Beckham, Gerard, Scholes. Heskey Owen and Nick Barnby. Barnby. Nick Barnby, one of the forgotten players of like he had a long career, long career for England. Well, decent amount of goals he scored as well for England, uh, compared to, uh, to how he's won. Um I'll, I'll give you the uh, the Scotland lineup. Okay, um, so Marshall in goal. Yeah. Um back four. But yeah, uh, yeah, back four of uh, Hutton, uh Martin Mulgrew and Robertson. Oh Mulgrew. Yeah. Who was it? Who yeah. else? Who was that? Hutton, Robertson, uh, Mulgrew and who? Martin. Uh, is that Chris Martin. Chris Martin would have played. He would have played up front. I would have thought the, Wait, the Derby boy. Yeah, isn't he? Wait, isn't he like Australian as well? <laughs> oh well, maybe. Uh, um, J- James Morrison, Morrison, Scott Brown, and uh, uh, Scott Maloney in, se- in central defence. Sean Maloney. That's Scott Maloney. <laughs> Scott Maloney. Maloney yeah. uh, Naismith and Anya were the, were the kind of wingers. Oh God, catchy Anya. Played, who played wide of uh, Stephen Fletcher. Oh, Stephen like, Fletcher. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. oh, I've had a yeah. shocker there. I've had a shocker. <laughs> Given well, the fact that I only knew two of them for sure. Yeah. And they're in yeah. for guests. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, congratulations, James, on another oh, victory. I will have to I'll, I'll get wait. it. I was waiting for the congratulations to come, but yeah, th- thank you anyway. That's yeah, fine, that's fine. Uh, I went easy on you this week. I will not, that's, that's something I will not repeat next week. <laughs> so that is, uh, that is uh, another, that's the Usher versus Usher challenge for another week. Okay, so uh, the Premier League is over. It's weird um, not having yeah. four games of football a day to binge on. Uh, so let's look back at uh, our predictions for mm-hmm. uh, last week. <laughs> and see how we got on. So, mm-hmm. um, Manchester United versus Leicester City. Mm-hmm. Um, James, you thought it would be 2-1 to Manchester yeah, yeah. United. Uh, I thought it would be 2-0, and it finished mm-hmm. 2-0. So, yeah, yeah. good. Uh, yeah. Chelsea against Wolves, uh, you thought it would be mm-hmm. 1-1. I yeah. thought Wolves would win one now. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should just not guess Wolves games. I think yes, maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you thought Villa would beat West Ham two one. I thought yes. Villa would beat West Ham one nil, and it finished mm-hmm. one all. Yeah. Um, and uh, Watford, we both thought Arsenal would win two nil, and Arsenal yeah. ended up winning so some like. I can't three, remember. Two, three two it was in the end. Um, so we, we didn't do too bad. Like I no, think, no. Uh, but uh, so that that leaves Manchester um, United, Chelsea uh, qualifying for yeah. the Champions League along with Manchester mm-hmm. City and Liverpool. Yeah. It means that Watford um, have gone down with Bournemouth, despite yeah. a very impressive three uh, one win for Bournemouth against uh, against yes. Everton. Yeah. 
um, yeah. but it wasn't enough sadly because Villa got the yeah. point they needed against West mm-hmm. Ham uh, so Villa remain in the Premier season um, mm-hmm. so I think overall uh, pretty much what we expected to happen I think we had it that, um, I think that yeah. yeah. so overall I think are you happy with the, the Premier League and how it went this year the sort of yeah. crazy uh, <laughs> sort of like interval that we had I think yeah. Despite yeah. After, apart from that first couple of weeks, I think mm-hmm. it's actually been quite exciting at times, hasn't it? It has. Yeah, I, I do think. I do think the um, the level definitely got back up. I don't think it was. It could ever have got to the same level as as it as it as, it, as you have when you have full crowds there and everything, like a home team being roared on. Um, but it always gives a, a home team like an extra ten percent at least. Um, but uh, I, th- I definitely think in the in the last kind of. The last kind of like few rounds, few rounds, we did see some really, really good football. Um, yeah. I think, um, I think I'm disappointed that Leicester and Wolves kind of fell away because it, it looked like Leicester spent pretty much the whole year in in the top four and ended up dropping away. At one point, it, like Leicester were closer to sort of Manchester City in second place, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Yeah, it was a bit shame because it would have been nice to see them. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few people. Um, sort of mm-hmm. on the east end of Glasgow who are not too disappointed to see them given the fact <laughs> that they, they don't hold because they abandoned them and lied to oh, them yeah, and yeah. all this you know yeah. uh, but uh, you know I think the neutral Leicester are quite a yeah quite a like a nice little team to sort of follow yeah. Yeah. Something, you know something different um, yeah, rather yeah. than just watching the same four teams and mm-hmm. stuff I think uh, probably biggest uh I guess so. If you had to pick out like one team that that have overachieved this year and one team that have underachieved, so who's impressed you and who's disappointed you? I mean, forget Liverpool and Man City because they're like yeah. streets ahead of anybody else, yeah. right? So yeah. out with the top two, who's impressed you this year? Who have been the season out with? I think. Um, I think. Yeah. I think you have to look in that. For me, it, I think it comes down to one of sort of three teams of. I, well, I will say that Chelsea really do deserve kind of credit for. Yeah, the amount of things they've brought in, but I do think it, you kind of have to sort of look at obviously Sheffield United. Um, I think what Wolves have done this season has been nothing short of phenomenal, and they still could go on to have a remarkable season with the UEFA Cup still, yeah, to play for. Um, and sort of and again, sort of flying under the radar and not getting any credit at all. Um, Burnley, um, yeah. Sean, the work that kind of Sean Dyche, Dyche has done there is is kind of like one of the great kind of jobs in English English football management. Yeah. Um, I've I've got a feeling that if if people remember what Charlton used to be like in the sort of competing in the top half of the of the Premier League and they got rid of uh, Alan Kirbishley or Alan Kirbishley moved on yeah. and they kind of like been they were kind of like free fell through the through the leagues pretty much. Um, I think I think a similar thing could happen to Burnley if 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 any Burnley fans are unhappy with Sean Dyche as manager. Um, I think they need to give their heads a shake and and uh, definitely and realise the the kind of amount of work that he puts in. And I think, so out of those three, I do, I do think though, even though they did kind of unfortunately fall away towards the end of the season, the work, the, the job that Chris Wilder has done at, at Sheffield United this season definitely makes them my uh, my kind yeah. of performers of, of the year. Because even if even if you thought they might, even if you thought they might survive this season, nobody thought that a top half finish was even like a remote possibility. And there have been, and, and it's not been because teams have underperformed. They've actually fallen off at the end of the season. And, and we'll be disappointed to have finished where they did, to be honest. Whereas, you know, whereas uh, expectation of pre-season were, were, were nothing like, I think 16th would have been a delightful season for them. But to, to finish still for high up the league, I think it's got to be Sheffield United. Kind of I, I think I would agree with that. And uh, the, 
Sheffield United and Burnley, I think, are the two, and the uh, especially Chris Wilder with a team first coming up from the from the Premier uh, the Championships. It was an mm. incredible achievement. But I want to I want to throw a a well done out to Newcastle, right? Okay. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Obviously, we are not Newcastle United fans, but both of us have plenty of friends who are, given the fact that I live in the northeast and you're from the northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I want to give a shout out to Newcastle is right, they survived comfortably, right? Yes. They, they lost. I mean, they lost what four out of the last five games yes. and stuff, yeah. but they were already well safe by then. Mm-hmm. Now. Having lived in this city as I have, or out, just outside this city for the last 10 years or so, they have the most demanding support masquerading as an understanding support. <laughs> you know, like, they're always going, oh, we'll follow the team, we'll follow the team, but they expect them to be world beaters all the mm-hmm. time. Now, there's been next to no invest in that squad um, mm-hmm. other than they bought that Joe Lint <laughs> for about... Like, he, he basically couldn't hit a barn door with a banjo and he's horrendous, yeah. right? And then... They got Steve Bruce in, who nobody wanted, right? Yeah. And in spite of all the negativity that surrounded that mm-hmm. club this season, and there was a lot of it, you yes. know, they have comfortably survived mm-hmm. in the Premier League. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I a shout out to, to Newcastle. I think they what they've yeah. achieved, given the squad that they have, um, yes. I think they deserve a wee bit of uh, a wee bit of praise. And they're not going to get it from their own fans. So let's no. put it that way. Um, yeah. And to be honest, like I, I'm only kidding, Newcastle fans. I, I love you uh-huh. really. Um, and you know, the thing is, as soon as St James's Park is opened again, there'll be fifty-five thousand of them, regardless mm-hmm. of you know. Um, yeah. And obviously, they've got, have been through a lot with Ashley and his cost cutting and everything. And today, the uh, the proposed takeover by the Saudis has fallen through, which we'll address in more detail next week. But uh, I just wanted to give a little shout out to them. So yes. the Sporty Ushers salute you, Newcastle. Well done. Um, Okay, so that's the good. Who have been poor this season? Again, we'll we'll take Norwich out of it because they've just been shocking. Um, We we talked about Watford last week. So mm -hmm. who's disappointed you this season? I I, I actually actually, actually do want to mention Norwich because um, I, I understand... I understand their kind of idea of we want to be sort of stable and we want to be sort of financially kind of secure going forward, but to not basically to not give it a go, uh, the, the way they've gone down is it's it's beyond disappointing. Like like for for me because you know you can't just you can't just sort of play well in September and October and then and then not and then sort of give away some of the goals they gave away were so soft and. Um, so repetitively the same goals given away every sort of single week. It, it and, and then the idea that, that they're going to be able to keep the players because of you know like like, like I've said before, um, Timo Puki scored scored the goals that got them promoted last season. Yeah. He's now he's now had and he started off the season very very well. He's now had an absolutely confident shredding half of a season where he's barely looked like he can even get the ball into the box. Never mind you know actually score goals so so he's got he's got a massive job on for him to all of a sudden expect him to score 25 goals again next season is expecting something that you know yeah, is, is, cool, is yeah. very it's very thing to have to to basically that's what they're going to need to get promoted next season uh and i don't i don't I, you wouldn't have thought if you saw that's that striker if you saw Pucci playing this season and a team that went down you won't be thinking oh well he's definitely going to bang in the goals next season and the fact that he can't decide that this was good enough for them and then the kind of message that they come out of the club, sort of almost accepting their their kind of position as sort of fifteen points worse off than than, than fifteen points away from safety. Um, I hope I hope yeah. the hope the internal messages aren't the same as these kind of external messages because I don't see how that sort of translate into you know if if you're a young player like Max Ahrens or like Todd Cantwell, do you really want to stay for a team that's going to say 
that you know who you know in in if so they get promoted again in 12 months time are they are they gonna are they gonna oh, splash the cash you're gonna say do you know what? no we still need to be financially secure so you know this time we'll only be six points off safety so yeah exactly we'll it's... six points be able to buy six points instead of 15 points you know I, i'm not sure that that'd be the kind of message that as a young footballer i'd be interested in that's not the type of club that i'd particularly be interested in staying around at no definitely not i mean even like um like villa had a very different approach in doing these different Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, didn't they? And, mm-hmm. uh, I think the, the team that, that disappointed me this year, and, and to be honest, probably perennially disappoint, is Everton. You know, yeah. they're just this. Yeah. You know, the amount of money they spend, they should be comfortably yeah. competing for the top six, yeah. and they're just. I mean, they finished what on forty nine points, mm-hmm. and Chelsea finished on sixty six. Yeah. You know, so they were they're not they're not even close. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, again, won one of the last five games. Mm-hmm. Just again, just don't like Sigerson. When he went there, he was yeah. a world oh, beater. Yeah. When he was at yeah. Swansea, and he's, he's hard to kick mm-hmm. the ball. Yeah, um, fifty the, million pound midfielder. He definitely does not look like. No, definitely not. And I know transfer fees mean mean nothing, but still. So you, you, even you look at the players that have gone there. You know, like they took uh, they took Theo Walcott there, yeah. and Schneiderlin went there, and um, Wobi and stuff, and they're just no, they're just not yeah. doing it. You know, I and I think I think if, yeah. if I was support, if I was an Everton supporter, I would be spitting feathers yeah. the amount of money that club has spent. Yeah. And you know, even even Pickford, man. Yeah, like we'll talk a bit more about goalkeepers in a minute, mm-hmm. but like surely England have got to be looking somewhere else. Yes, you would you would think that you kind of think that he doesn't. But the thing is, he, he's he's never made mistakes for England. However, yeah. he seemed to make too many mistakes for him. Um, for, for goalkeeper is a confidence position as well, yeah. isn't it? You just don't want your goalkeeper going into a game off a run of yeah. throwing the ball into the club, yeah. you know? Like, <laughs> a la Scott Carson, remember yeah. him? Never I think if, if, <laughs> if I was an Everton fan, I think a few years ago, there was a real policy of bringing through young players. But if you look, if you look at someone like Tom, Tom Davies, or is it Tom Davis? Yeah. Um, he... The blonde boy, yeah, I don't yeah. know what you mean. He was, he was playing a lot of games, and then now he's been kind of surpassed by, you know, the, but the people who who have got his place in the team, they're not, you know, Morgan Schneiderling. He, he seems like a decent player, but he's not. He, yeah, he's not. He's not great. And and, and no. sure, he's going to sound Sigerson. He's kind of underperformed, and I'm not really sure what his best role actually is. Can he really play a centre midfield role? Um, but he, but you can see why he's in the team. But you know, some like Tom Dave, like if you see youngsters coming to the team and then taken out of the team. You know, it can be disheartening for like as an Everton fan. It, uh, um, what's it called Andreas Lockman or Lockman, yeah. the, um, the winger they had. He, Ad- Adam Ola Lockman, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He ended up moving to to Germany, um, and I think so. I, I reckon Richarlison is definitely looks like he's worth the money they paid for him. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. And he looks like a, a a real quality player that you know. I think they'll get another year out of him, but I'm very surprised if someone doesn't make a move for him. Um, yeah. I think Dominic Calvert Lewin is. Uh, I think for for an, for an, for a team to have a young striker who's come from the from the hometown is or has has come from the through the youth academy. I think it's always good to have that. It's, it's you always get a good connection there. I think he's he's good for the club. But apart from that, it's almost like if if I was Carlo Ancelotti, they'd be the two names that I'd want to keep. And every every other position, you'd be thinking, right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that brings us on to our team of the year. Now we did we went away and did. Yeah. The- Definitely, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, and yeah. we pretty much come back with the exact same team. Um, yeah. With, with uh, like the right winger was kind of the only thing that was different. Yeah. So, um, yeah. can I quickly go through this? Uh, yeah. So, in goal, we both went for Nick Pope, I think. Uh, yes, we did, yeah. If yeah. he doesn't start the next England game, I think there's something wrong. Um, Definitely thinks so, yeah. There's, he's, there's uh, a few kind of alternates we could have had, like um, 
uh, like Dean Henderson at, at Sheffield United again yeah, is a, definitely. a very good season. But I think he's had a good season, but Nick Pope has gone even has done even better. I mean, if you look at the Burnley team, they're not Burnley aren't a team that are set up defensively. They play hard football, but they're not a defensive team. Like like say say a Crystal like Crystal Palace are, for example. Um, they, they don't play the most free flow football, but Burnley aren't a defensive team. So to have kept the number of clean sheets that he did, uh, it was fifteen, wasn't it? And he yeah, just got it was, yeah. the, the and it and I think that that's a real real kind of uh, like I think that, that's that's why I chose Nick Pope as my uh, as my goalkeeper in my team just because he was just re really consistently excellent really yeah I think uh, so the back four are pretty much picked themselves yeah. so you've got uh, Robertson and Alexander Arnold as your fullbacks yeah. uh, Van Dijk and uh, probably the only one that was probably up for debate <laughs> would be Joyanucci. Um yeah. but I, 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 I've seen loads of teams of the year where Harry Maguire's been in there and yes uh, yeah. to be honest like 80 million if he's worth 80 million then <laughs> I, I could probably you know I could probably get a transfer fee like a million pound transfer fee yeah. if that guy's worth 80 million but yeah. um, but I think you know it, it's I think he's done. He's done really well. I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard on Leicester, given how poor they've been since, yeah. Uh, yeah. since the restart. But he had a brilliant. He did, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think him him coming out of the team as well after he sends after his ridiculous sending off oh, against goodness, Bolton, yeah. has, has, it just kind of gave away their kind of like um, yeah. It kind of took away their last their last kind of like like that, that central spine because Madison was a big miss for them at the end of the season, and I think. Uh, I think he was the one that was was kind of lost. Um, did you have any other p potential kind of centre backs in your? In I kind of looked at I, I looked at Turkowski, uh, Turkowski a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, I, yeah. He, he had a really good season, and as you say, Burnley aren't set up yeah. to be a particularly yeah. defensive yeah. team. Um, so when I, someone stands out in that team in a defensive yeah. defensive capacity, mm -hmm. um, so he was my only other sort of one. Yeah. But I d he didn't really get close, to be honest, because like, the no, Liverpool no. boys went in there right away, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. I think they were just looking to fill that other space. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do quite like Wan-Bissaka, um, yeah. but he's way behind Alexander yeah. Arnold. I think Wan-Bissaka had a decent season, did, yeah. Um, yeah. and you started to see what you know the fifty-five million they paid for yeah. may not have been that mm -hmm. outlandish, you know. And I mm -hmm. think he he's had a definitely had a better season than Maguire, for example. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I don't really think there's anybody uh, Chilwell potentially at left yes. back. Um, but the thing is, um, like Andy Robertson, um, he, I think people do know he's good, but people don't think realize how good he is because he he isn't quite as good as Trent Alexander Arnold. And I think because of that, he's he's not he should be rated just slightly. Um, Alexander Arnold, um, sort of this season, has set the record for the most assists by a fullback with thirteen. Yeah. Um, Andy Hamilton got 12 assists in the Premier League this season. So he would have as Andy Robertson. I mean, Andy Hamilton. I'm, I'm sure he yeah, did well. Yeah, Andy Robertson got 12 assists this season. So he, he would have, um, yeah, he would have like equaled the, the record himself. So, um, yeah, so I, I definitely think them, them two are <laughs> also like we can have this conversation for the next five years and them two will, will probably be the choices at fullback. I reckon. Um, so I want to give a, a, a little shout out to Kieran Tierney who. Has oh, yeah. uh, just started to sort of find his yeah. feet in an Arsenal yeah. jersey. Um, again, I mean, there's a comparison made between Robertson and Tierney all the time, um, yeah. especially because, you know, yeah. for the first time in a, in a generation, we have a quality left back, but no, we've got yeah. two quality yeah, left backs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I think you know he'll be in that conversation, and do you yeah. know what I think the difference why why Robertson isn't in the conversation is because he's not English, you know. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. I think if Robertson had been English, 
then I'm, I'm not saying that they're down on him because he's Scottish. If they're mm-hmm. down on him because he's not English, and that quite yeah. right. You know, if yeah. if there was if, if two fullbacks played for Rangers uh, and one was Scottish and one was English and one was only slightly better than the other, they wouldn't talk about them in the same terms. Yeah. They would talk about the Scottish guy more, and that's fine. Yeah. Because, yeah. Um, but I think Van Dyke was nailed on. The guys oh, yeah. pretty much yeah. changed Liverpool, didn't they, when he went yeah. in at that time? Yeah. Um, Again, the the middle three again mm-hmm. pick themselves. Uh, we went yeah. for De Bruyne, um, Henderson, and Bruno Fernandez. Yeah. I think Bruno Fernandez, you know, like yeah. in a team that had Paul yeah. Pogba in it, yeah. you know, who should have been the guy who picked yeah. Man United up by the scruff of the neck mm-hmm. and pulled them forward. They took this guy to do it, you know, and yeah. to walk into that dressing room, right? Now Manchester United may not be at the heights of uh, mm-hmm. where they once were, but they're still Man United, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Still yeah. one of the biggest clubs in the world, and he's walked in there and he's pretty much dragged them to third place. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, De Bruyne was just, you know, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. There, there's, there isn't enough superlatives yeah. about him, you know. Uh, and that, yeah, and, and Jordan Henderson as well. I think a lot, lots we made of sort of sort of the, the argument kind of of like De Bruyne or Henderson, sort of like Player of the Year. Um, uh, it's kind of like people have said that De Bruyne has kind of like created more chances per minute than anyone has ever done and this kind of thing. Um, but the, the thing is to remember that, that Manchester City, as, as, and, and fantastically wants to create sort of 20, 20 assists a season, 13 goals, like absolutely phenomenal. He also he played every game this season as well. But that also means that he, he lost nine games this season. Man City lost nine games in the Premier League this season. Uh, I do think you have to take that sort of thing into account that, you know, when when things weren't, weren't right for, for Man City, he couldn't drag them over the line into matches. Whereas yeah. Jordan Henderson, and not just Jordan Henderson on his own, but Jordan Henderson as the leader of that Liverpool team. Yeah. They, they only lost one game all season that he played. He played 30 games and he only lost one game all season. So I think, do I, 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 I do understand why he's been sort of player of the year. Totally. And Joker, um, what's his name? Jack Whitehall made a joke on, um, I think it was own a couple of years ago, uh, and it was Stephen Gerrard uh, Oh, just down the road that wasn't quite as good and wasn't quite uh, as expensive. It was uh, the Hotel Jordan Henderson. And, okay. and, it was, and he, like Whitehall, uh, like once he was announced of uh, being player of the year, he, he sort of retweeted that and says, uh, yeah, this joke hasn't aged very well. You know, because I think, and that, like, where Henderson obviously went in under Gerard, uh, the yeah. comparison yeah. to Gerard yeah. and everything, but he's, to be honest, he, he did what Stephen yeah. Gerard never yeah. did. And yes, okay, yeah. he's better players around them mm-hmm. potentially than, than Gerard has. But um Yeah, it like like Jordan Henderson um so the, the area that, that that we come from, you know, we've got people who plenty of people know plenty of people who, who definitely aren't Jordan Henderson fans. And you know, some people, you know, for his for where he, where he came from there's a Sunderland as a Sunderland Academy graduate. Um but um but he was he basically he was a, a good box to box midfielder with a decent yeah. engine on him. You know, that was he didn't he wasn't particularly skillful but he, he, he almost, he was, if, if you remember Lee Catamol, I always sort of group the two of them together. Kind of like, you know, good engine, good around, can get around the pitch, put a tackle in, but no actual, kind of, like a bit of skill, but nothing yeah. right home about. But the work he's putting over, the, it has been almost a decade now, but he's he's kind of improved year on year and and deserves to be to be captain of a of a championship winning team, to be honest. I think the thing is, like, he's, he's the type of player that, you know, it's a very kind of well-worn trope in, in professional sport, but if you work hard, you know, yeah. and he very much is the epitome mm-hmm. of the fact that if you do work hard, then, you know, the rewards are out there for you. And I, I don't think there's many people out with the City 
which I call home right now with yeah. with with Judge Jordan Hen- Judge, uh, Grudge, sorry, uh, Jordan Henderson that uh, that award. So, um, so that takes us to the front three. So yes. we had. Uh, Vardy in the centre, I think um, Jamie Vardy, as long as Jamie Vardy's in the team Leicester had a chance in that run and I think you mentioned that, didn't you? Um, We've got Sadio Mane on the left. Yes. Um, So on the right, um, a lot of this was just because I love this player Mm -hmm. um, and that was uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, So you went a different way. I went Uh, a different way. And yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure if the formation is is really the formation that I'd play him in, but I do think that Danny Ings makes it into my my eleven of the of the uh, my Premier League eleven of uh, of twenty twenty just for the um, just again for the improvement, but for the for the work that he does off the ball and the and the fact that when he first started scoring goals, it seemed like he was just a guy who kind of hit form. Yeah, but he continued scoring and he's continued, and the season stops for three months, and Southampton come back and don't start start off brilliant, but then he starts scoring goals again. I think that's why. Um, that's why I had to put him in, just because of his consistency in a team that has uh, got Arsenal have had their problems this season. But you know, to to have a to have a team that you know that has been as low as Southampton have been this season, and and to score twenty goals in that kind of in in that team, I think that's why. Also, I don't think he's on penalties all the time. I think Ward Prowse takes penalties, um, so I think that's why he'd be my he'd be my choice just to edge out. That's absolutely fantastic, Aubameyang, though. I just, Obama is just one of those players who I just love watching. I mean, it's very yeah. frustrating. I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I imagine it would be very frustrating watching Arsenal when they play Lacazette through the middle and Obama Yang on the right, when like it would make sense to anyone other than Mikel Arteta to put um, Obama Yang in the middle and put Lacazette on a plane to anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just think he excites me. I think he's fun when he's got the ball at his feet. He looks like he's enjoying himself. He looks like he can always make something happen. Yeah. Um, and he's just he's just everything I look for in a footballer. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just hope that if he if he stays at Arsenal, and I kind of hope he does. Cause yeah. My brother in law is an Arsenal fan, so it's kind of I've got a little bit of a family connection to to Arsenal. So I kind of hope that uh, and plus Tierney's there as well. So um, I hope that they can strengthen in the summer because. Uh, I would quite like to see them do well next season. Um, I did have Ings on my bench, along with yeah. uh, Sterling, Tarkovsky, Becker, and I put David Silva on there because I yeah. wanted to yeah. Premier League talk today. This is uh, sort of bringing it to an end. As like he's the Champions League against Real Madrid, yeah. or if they continue yeah. on in the Champions League, will be the last time we see David Silva. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just really, really quite sad. I think that um, mm-hmm. that he was just such a great player for so long. Um, yeah. And it's like sort of so. Once Aguero goes out of that team, that's like the kind of great Man City one, team, yeah. pretty much broken up, isn't it? Like, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Tori went a few years ago. Then Vincent yeah. Company, Silver this year, and yeah. Uh, let, let's be honest, they they kind of replaced Torre with a slightly different style of play. They kind of haven't replaced Company. You know, if no. Laporte had been, been injury free, maybe they maybe it wouldn't be much of an issue. But I think David Silver could be the one that. How, how do you how do you replace David Silva? I, I, it's not going to be a light flight replacement. People are saying Phil Fold, Phil Foden is people have called him like the, the replacement, but he's not. He won't. Be plus, play he won't play. Him. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell I'll tell that right. Anything yeah. that's nailed on next season is that Manchester City will cheat the fair play uh, regulations yeah. again, not get punished, and Phil Foden won't play a, like mm-hmm. more than ten games a season next yeah. year. Yeah. Like, regardless of how great he is or how much he's a natural yeah. replacement, he's a young player who just won't get us looking in that team it's sad but true yeah 
Yeah. Um, but yeah. So there we go. So that uh, that is the f- the f- football section. We will revisit uh, Scottish football later on. Yes. But uh, that is the end of our Premier League chat for this week. So we're going to move on to cricket. Um, yeah. So. It was a pretty, pretty straightforward win in the end uh, in the third test, James, I think. Um, England went a different way from, uh, well, the kind of, the, the, the sort of makeup of their team with the mm-hmm. four pacemen and stuff remained. But yes. instead of sacrificing the spinner, Don yeah. Best, which you thought they would do, yes. they got rid of the batsman and Zach Crawley. So yeah. Yeah. what's the thinking there, do you think? I mean, it worked pretty well. Um, yeah. But... I think it was so the, um, the 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 kind of the kind of perceived wisdom in sort of like cricket is that you need you need to have at least three three bowlers and a spinner play kind of play every match. Last week I kind of said that maybe England would look at sort of dropping the spinner to play four sort of fast bowlers, um, and and in the end, Don Best the spinner didn't actually bowl uh, anything at all um, over the over the kind of the, the third test. Um, but instead instead that yeah they went with um, one less one less uh, batsman uh, and basically. Basically, the bowlers really stepped up to the mark. Um, I think I think we kind of saw the benefits of, or England reap the benefits of a slightly tired West Indies team. Um, I think, especially if you look at the sort of the second innings when Dom Sibley and Rory Burns both went out and batted and both scored half centuries. I think part of that, part of those half centuries, can be can also be sort of credited to to sort of Dom Sibley and Ben Stokes, you know, um, battering the West Indies in the in a submission in the, in the sort of the second in the yeah. second test it kind of felt like they'd taken a lot of the fight out of the West Indies and certain and it felt like they were slightly defeated at points um, there was a sort of a, m- a moment on the second morning when England kind of lost a few wickets after after Ollie Pope and uh, and Josh Butler had done, had done uh, Josh Butler had done really really well um, finally kind of rewarding sort of a bit of patience in both of them to to really kind of set up the game uh Westies had a bit of a rally the next morning uh, until Stuart Broad decided that he'd had enough and just started smashing the ball around like he was a like he was a world superstar. Um, like he was like he was Josh Butler, really. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he, he scored the, the third, the joint third fastest ever half century by a by an English batsman. Um, so so that and I think that kind of knocked the final stuffing out of out of the West Indies. Um, the bowling kind of and then having an extra bowler meant that they could really be aggressive when they were. When they sort of took on the West Indies batsmen, and England basically just n- not not quite as quickly as we might have thought at one point, but they did basically rattle through the the West Indies batsmen, went out and batted again, scored some more runs, and then kind of ended up winning quite comfortably in the middle of the in the middle of the last day. And even that with losing a losing a, a full day of of play in the, in the middle of the Test match, they still managed to 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 kind of march to victory. Um, but there's there's one kind of thing that we've kind of like overlooked out of this. We've mentioned more Redfield's batting, but but Stuart Broad managed to get his 500th Test wicket over the course of the match, and after being dropped sort of two Tests ago, he's kind of gone on to kind of show just just how potent he still is, um, and especially in English conditions. But he's, he's kind of he, he was always a bowler, and because he was quite tall and because he was he was quite fast, he he had a tendency to try and to try and bowl quite short and sort of try and make the batsman really uncomfortable sort of physically. Um, as he's matured or or has he's sort of improved his game? He's he started bowling a lot fuller, so so bowling the ball so it bounces a lot closer to the to the batsman. Uh, it's a lot less spectacular. You, you don't see batsmen sort of diving out of the way of the ball, but it's, it's been a lot more a lot more kind of successful for him and and a well deserved kind of 500, 500 test wicket. And just to put it into context, 
there's only one other player currently playing who's who's got 500 test wickets, and he happens to be James Anderson, the other the other England bat, uh, under England bowler. Oh, I think as well um, with, with James Anderson, he is what 12 away from 600 yes, away yeah. or something. So there's a chance yeah. that he yeah. could get that this summer. You know, and like if he plays all is it many three games against Pakistan? Three, three yeah, yeah. Um, I think do you know. I think just watching that. I mean, it was. So it's frustrating with the rain and stuff, but mm-hmm. I think if you look at the last, I mean, I think we pretty much agreed that the first test was a bit of an anomaly, and we can kind of yeah. let England off for that. Given mm-hmm. there was, we did Root wasn't playing Stokes, yeah. and this made a bit of a mistake, not um, mm-hmm. bowling first and stuff. But if you look at the last two tests, um, England have declared in three out of their four yes. innings, yeah. you know, and. Uh, and I think like they've managed to bowl West Indies out. Now I think mm-hmm. West Indies, as you said, they probably played to their limit in the first test. And yeah, but yeah. Um, when I was listening to TMS, uh, Michael Vaughan said, you know, the the West Indies deserve a lot of credit for this Absolutely. because not only have they have they put up a decent fight, particularly in the first, <laughs> um, and I, I, there was times of the second test where they they, they asked some questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, if it wasn't for them, then yeah. You know, they, they, as you said, they made the sacrifice of coming over a month and being mm-hmm. in isolation, and you know, like it's just the, the English cricket owes them a lot. Um, oh, yes. And I, I think uh, um, I, I really enjoyed the Test series. I think that was that was a thing, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think there was any real doubt that England was going to win this. I said they'd win it within three days, and that was. I mean, they went to the final day, but that's only because yeah. we lost the yeah. day for rain. Um, but uh, no, I think. Um, Good on the West Indies, and I think it was a very enjoyable um, kind of spectacle. There was a few things that answered a few questions for England. We found that yeah. you know we could probably rely on Burns and Sibley to yeah. you know uh, be quite a reliable opening partnership going yeah. forward. Um, like Crawley, we know he can come in and bat. Um, yeah. I think you know uh, one guy I want to I want to call out. I know you're a massive fan of his uh, is Chris Wokes. I thought he had a great game. Um, yeah. And like it was just everything you said, just his control. Yeah. Um, he took five wickets on that yeah, last yeah, day, yeah. and and you know, and like I can say the headline's going to go abroad and right because you know again he put a real exclamation mark at the point of do you know what? Don't leave me out again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I think, but and he deserves all the plaudits, and he'll yeah. he'll rightly get them. But I, I think both of us are fans of Chris Wokes, and I think yeah. he definitely uh, he definitely stepped up in that role of as you say, just doing the sort of the the sort of bits and pieces bowling, the guy who just sort of fills yeah. in before the, the, the yeah. wicket takers come in almost. And he's yeah. kind of shown in this series, do you know what? I took five wickets in that game, oh, yeah. so yeah. don't look past me either, you know? I think um, I think, um, I think sort of Jimmy Anderson and, and the Stuart Broad's kind of bowling then means that someone like Chris Wilkes, when he comes on, isn't just tying up an end. He can be more more kind of like He's not just like a he's not just like a, a tidy bowler. He's not just like block up an end or something. He really can be like like, like you said, like a wicket taking kind of yeah. kind of bowler. Um, and also, so I really want to mention um, how um, so it, this was kind of at the beginning of the, of the test series. Um, Jason Holder, the, the the West Indian captain, he was the he was the number one all rounder um, in, in in world cricket um, in the rankings. And Ben Stokes has overtaken him over the course of of this. Uh, of this thing, so Ben Stokes is now yeah. number one, uh, and Jason Holder is, is number two. And um, but I also did want to mention that the Chris Wokes is actually the ninth best all rounder in the in ah, Africa, that's and, crazy. Um, a, a little bit like not quite in the same level, but a little bit like um, a little bit like uh, uh, Andy Robertson uh, as as left back at, at, at Liverpool, not quite getting the plaudits of his slightly more illustrious kind of like right back. Uh, I think um, 
Chris Wokes is kind of like slightly in the in the shadow of he he's not a Ben he's not a Ben Stokes he's not a Freddie Flintoff he's not an Ian Botham but he is he is one of the best all rounders in the world and he is a real asset for the team going forward and I also want to mention that the kind of uh, number eight in the in the chat so just just ahead of um, Chris Wokes was um was Royston Chase and he's a cricket that I've absolutely loved watching I yes, think he, only, yes. he, he seems to he seems to play like on a different level when he's in England. I was shocked that he wasn't even higher because he, he bowled, seems to bowl like an absolute demon, seems to be a really stubborn batsman and even even took a phenomenal run out. Um, he had a really brilliant direct hit in the, in the for a run out as well. So um, a, a, a run out of Joe Root. So, um, so yeah, I really wanted, I really just wanted to mention him as well as a, as a, as a real sort of like, as a real kind of plus for the West Indies in the, uh, in the, in the test. So before we move on from this, we did mention the fact that uh, West Indies may play the match-winning spinner Raheem Cornwall, oh. um, who Jason Holder described as being better than Dom Best, <laughs> um, he he weighs in at a hefty twenty-two stone. Um, he did play. He didn't take any wickets. Uh, yeah. He didn't score that many runs. Yeah. But what he did do was take quite a sensational oh, catch. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, to be honest, was like I'm still in awe of it today. Yeah. So how how whilst wearing two hats as well? Yeah, well, so. yes, indeed. Um, so a big shout out to the big fella. So, uh, but you know what? That was it was a very good series. The West mm. Indies. I always love watching the West Indies play. Anyway, uh, they do have well, they, as you said before, they, they, the best cricketers don't always come. Yeah, but I think like watching Holder and. Um, uh, Royston Chase, as you say, yeah. Uh, yeah. they had some really stubborn batsmen. I think that was a really good word for it as well. Um, yeah. And I, I love Shannon Gabriel as well. I think he's yeah. uh, he's played pretty much played through the pain a lot of the time yeah. in this test. It seems the wicketkeeper as well, who got smashed in the face and then came out to bat and just looked looked miserable, but he still was really really trying on the last eight trying. Uh, Shane Shane Dowridge, yes. yeah, yeah, he was so really digging, kind of digging, wasn't he? Ah uh, uh, yeah, so I think yeah. I, I think we draw a line under the series and say it was uh, it mm-hmm. was very successful. I think despite the first test, but again yeah. there were signs that you know if England had just sharpened up a little bit, they could yeah. have won that as well. But um, I think we've got a lot to look forward to. So the same squad for Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, given the fact that the first test is in um, Old, Old Trafford again, so you would think you would stick pretty close. I mean, obviously we. Pakistan are a different kettle of fish to what the West Indies mm-hmm. are, uh, but it's still English conditions. Mm-hmm. You've got to stick with Stuart Broad, don't you? I think um, so. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't see how you can rest. So, who would you rest? Um, I, would, I would look at taking out. Um, so, for the first match, I think I'd look at taking out um, uh, James Anderson. I think he'd be the one yep. that I'd take out just for this match. Um, he he bowled really really well, but I think if you've got Stuart Broad, I, I, I don't think you can drop Chris Wokes. But you know, to, to be honest, I think Chris Wokes might be the guy who comes out. And I yeah. think maybe Anson and Wokes will come out, maybe Sam Curran will play as well. Yeah. Because um, he's a left arm, so he gives something slightly different. Um, would you but, play Jack Lee in this one? Would you play instead of Don Bess, or would you stick with him? I, I would play I would play Jack Lee just as a way of resting Don Bess. However, he's not been, I don't think he's part of the squad. I think the squad's been. Is it the same squad, or is it? exactly the same with. Um, I think he, he's still part of the squad, but the squad's been named, I think. That doesn't have Jack Lee in. The, the people you want to get in your team are kind of Sam Curran. Uh, and you kind of want you do want to get Zach Crawley in there, but I don't think you're not going to. Um, I'd, I'd like to see Ben Folks get a chance, but I don't think you're going to drop Josh Butler after he's finally sort of like seemed to have rediscovered some form with the bat. So, um, so I think I, I think it it could to be honest it could be the same team. Unless any injuries. yeah. So you've got Bracey, Folks, Lawrence, and Leach as reserves. So yeah, yeah it's the same first first yeah. uh, 
Um, yes, yeah, so not so. You think they're going to make slight like, changes? Or? I think they might take Anderson out and play and play Crawley and just to, just to keep Anderson because he was. You know, there's, there's there'll still be two games to come back and try and win it. But I think I think if, if you're going to drop what if you got to drop one of Wokes, Archer, Anderson, and Broad, I think Wokes gives you a bit more with the bat. And Anderson, it's so strange dropping James Anderson at, at all times. Yeah. I think I think I don't think you drop him. I genuinely think it is rotation. You bring you take him out for this game, and then and then maybe you look at Stuart Broad taking him out for the middle game, yeah. for the second test. But especially with Anderson so close to 600 wickets as well. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but, but I, think, I think you've got to think of you've got to think of. You know, they, they didn't bowl a lot of overs in the last two matches, but there is a potential that, you know, you could, if, if you are in the field for 100 overs or something, do you want James Anderson and Stuart Broad bowling 25 overs between them? Yeah, probably not. Um, and, or, and Jeff Archer as well. You know, you have to think of, can they do can they do that week after week after week? Or do you end up in a, in a situation like the West Indies were, where you end up probably playing a, a fast bowler less than you'd want to, simply because basically they've they run themselves into the ground. Yes. Okay, well, I'm sure we will find out. So yeah. we're going to move on a little bit to change of change of ball to the white ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, England started their uh, one day summer today. Um, they uh, have just in the last couple of hours uh, defeated Ireland um, by six wickets. Now it looked like it was going to be over a lot quicker. Uh, yeah. So England, England went with. Let me just find England's team first. So they went: Roy, Bearstow, Vince, Morgan, mm-hmm. Banton, Billings, mm-hmm. Ali, Willie, Rashid, Curran, and Mahmood. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's hardly a. So I guess some caveats to that is they couldn't pick from any of the test squads uh, because they are isolating um, mm-hmm. and in a bubble, so they didn't want to take any players from that. So there's. So you're talking Root, Stoke. Probably Mark Wood would come in, um, Butler and yeah. Archer would come in as well. So yeah. it was always going to be a very um, sort of different team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so looking at this, you look at there's no the World Twenty Twenty's been cancelled for this year, yeah. so that's been yeah. moved potentially mm-hmm. to next year. It hasn't quite been confirmed. Uh, mm-hmm. Next World Cup's a couple of years away. What is the thinking with going with the older guys in there? Would you like to have seen them taking sort of more younger guys in there, or is that pretty much the best team we can put out in the circumstances? Yeah, I, I do. Th- I do think you do have to. You, you do obviously. You always want sort of. Everyone always wants to see bright new talent coming to a team, um, but I, I do think you have to be careful about throwing a lot of players in at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I hope that England are looking to sort of introduce. It, it may only be sort of like two or three players that are needed because although the World Cup is so it's the end of 20, um, uh, 2023, the World next World Cup. Yeah. It's, it's full a full three years away. Um, the, a lot of the players from from the last World Cup a year ago, sort of your Jason Roy's, your your Johnny Bairstow's. <laughs> yeah. um, they're, they're, they've just turned thirty, so so then they'll still be sort of thirty three. They'll still kind of be in their, they'll still almost certainly still be in their prime. Um, but same with like Josh Butler and sort of your Ben. So so you're not looking at, at sort of needing major kind of like surgery on the team to to sort of change it. But I think like a player like Tom Banton um, is definitely a someone. He's only twenty one. He's definitely someone a real hard hitting kind of player. He's yeah. definitely someone you want to see in the team. Um, a sort of like a Sam Billings who came in today. And yeah, got, got 67, yeah. Yeah, basically soars over the line. It's always good to have someone like that in the team, or even if not in the team, but in and around the team. Whereas uh-huh. whereas uh, if, if you've got someone like a Joe Denley in the in the squad, I don't see the benefit of Joe Denley being in the squad. Um, Mahmoud, the f- sort of fast bowler, it's good to see him. 
Um, but I, I'd love to have seen sort of like I would like to have seen him go even further. Like if if you are going to start, if you are going to have like Bearstow and Roy opening the batting, and you've got Morgan in there as well, your, your batting lineup, you can really experiment with that batting lineup. You've got if you've got the, those kind of two openers and Morgan there to sort of see you home in pr- from pretty much. You should be able to win from pretty much any situation against Ireland with yes. those three anyway. So so I wish they could have played like a a Liam Livingston, like as long alongside Tom Banton as well, like a Liam Livingston. If if anyone's I know anyone watching, I would suggest go and watch sort of just just type in on Google Liam Livingston hit, and there are some there are there's there's a there's a match where he gets hit in the um in the in the delicate yes yes and you hear him kind of scream oh no <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious and he's okay and he he kind of carries on smashing the ball around he's just a really aggressive um sort of T twenty batsman that I'd like to see get into the. ODI team, um, but I can understand. I can understand why they're not doing it, and maybe he will play in the next one. But I'd, I'd like to see them kind of, you know, James Vince, a good player, but it, it's not the most exciting kind of guy. No, but when you when you sort of think of a B team, you, you kind of want a few more youngsters kind of thrown in there. Than, um, so, I think the, I think this 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 sort of series doesn't really. I mean, I, I kind of had it on in the radio, a TMS on. I was like, nah. yeah, yeah, wasn't really that bothered about it. Um, but as I say, it's, I mean, it looked like I mean, Ireland were like twenty-eight for five at one point, yes. so it looked like yeah. it was going to be over by like four o'clock. But they rallied a little bit. But England didn't have too many problems. I mean, they had their little wobble. Um, I don't think there was ever any doubt that England were gonna were gonna lose that match or were gonna lose this series. But yeah. I think I think as as a I mean, I, I prefer Test cricket. To, yeah. to the one day game anyway so I was kind of always kind of had my eye on Pakistan on Thursday but it's a nice little aside I suppose oh, yeah. Yeah. but um, so more exciting I say more exciting than uh, England versus Pakistan is that domestic cricket returns on Saturday um, so obviously it's a very reduced uh, programme there's no uh, one day cup this year um, there's a very a kind of reduced uh, 2020 programme which starts from August um, but the probably the most interesting thing is the way that they've reconstructed the county uh, tournament. So it's been named uh, the Bob Willis Trophy after uh, the former England captain who died in January or December, I think it was. Um, so what they've done is they've split uh, the, the sort of the counties into three groups of six based on their geographical location. Um, so in the north section, you've got Derbyshire, Notts, Durham, Yorkshire, Leicestershire and Lancashire. Uh, in the central uh, group, you have Gloucestershire, Worcestershire, Somerset, Glamorgan, Warwickshire and North Ants. And then in the south, you've got Essex, Kent, Surrey, Middlesex, Sussex and Hampshire. And uh, So they would all play each other once, so there'd be five games each. And then the two teams with the best record play in a five-day final. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, that I think that I find that quite an exciting format, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so a new farm format excite you? Is the same? Oh, or? Definitely, yeah. I think um, I think uh, um, sort of like uh, county cricket is it's kind of struggled for, for for a while to sort of like define its kind of purpose of is is it just a is it just a training ground for test players, you know, and or or do we actually want it to be a competitive kind of like league sort of system? Um, so you, at the minute, it's kind of it's usually split split into two kind of divisions. Um, but the kind of sprinkle of players is is sometimes quite is sometimes quite um, well sometimes quite spread out. So you, you don't a lot of games don't really have much quality, and you, you sort of feel like the kind of just going through the motions of when sort of two mid table or in the second division sort of lower table t- 
team to play in. There's not really much on it. And it, you're kind of thinking these players have to be very sort of motivated, self-motivated for this to happen, for this to, to be interesting. Um, but I think this, this shortened kind of format um, uh, of, of sort of four-day cricket, I think we could should definitely should breed more kind of like Bring more interest into the game. Hopefully, over the next over the next sort of couple of months, really. And oh, it's, definitely. It's quite, I think as well. Yeah. It's quite strange to be saying that in in August to say, or sort of starting from August to say a couple of months. But you know, September could be a strange time to be playing some cricket. But you know, it hopefully it'll if the weather holds off, it could be could have some really interesting pitches and some real turn on some of the pitches. So it could change from a time when you've had really dry pitches and nothing happening to now we could get some really interesting. Um, and really interesting sort of cricket being played. Definitely, and I think as well as like so, like obviously we are we are uh, Durham fans. Uh, yes, drag yourself all the way down uh, Essex to play. You, yeah. you just have to go down to Manchester or to a lot closer. But it would encourage people to travel to a game that wouldn't normally. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think we always try. James and I always try to get to the Riverside at least once a season. Um, oh, yeah. And it looks like that potentially could be on the cards, whether that be to a T20 match or to county championship cards. So I think domestic cricket backs uh, gets a big thumbs up from James and I. I think that's fair to say, yeah? Yes, yeah. Good stuff. Well, as I say, that is all for cricket this week. You may have noticed this is just part one of this week's Sport Usher podcast. In the second part, we do talk in depth uh, about Scottish football with a very, very special guest. So please find part two and enjoy. Cue the music. <laughs>